A few years back, we were having a brutally cold winter. The snow had frozen into ice and covered everything. It was pitch black in the backyard when I went to let my dog outside one last time before bed that evening. As we exited the house from the sliding door of the walkout basement and onto the lower deck, I felt that something was off. Our house backs up to some woods, so I was accustomed to hearing noises from wildlife in the night. This night was different. Nothing made a sound except the arctic cold wind, but I had the feeling I was being watched. The entire time my dog was in the backyard, I looked around nervously, expecting a coyote or other predator to pop out of the tree line. My dog did his business, but afterwards stopped and stared at a corner of the woods until I got creeped out and called him back inside. I quickly locked the sliding door and shut the curtains, unable to shake the uneasy feeling I had outside. After double and triple checking all the locks in the house, I went to bed. Around three in the morning, I hear the muffled sound of my dog barking from the basement two floors below. I got up, stumbled down three flights of stairs, and found him standing at the basement sliding door. He was peeking his head through the closed curtains, barking his head off with the hairs standing up all along his back. I tried calling him away from the door, but he wouldn't let up. I dreaded peeking out the curtain to see what he was barking at after the uneasy feeling I had earlier in the night. Finally, I held my breath and swiped the curtain aside. I peered into the inky blackness, but saw nothing to cause any alarm. A wave of relief washed over me. I figured it must have been a deer or a raccoon in the yard that set him off. He whined at the door for a few more minutes until I bribed him upstairs with a dog cookie. I went back to bed and wasn't disturbed again. That is, until the morning when I went to the basement to let out the dog. I opened the sliding door and walked out onto the deck as he bounded into the snow. My blood ran as cold as the sub-zero morning temperatures when I looked down. There, frozen into the ice on the deck, was a set of bare human footprints. They were very clear. I could make out each toe on the person's foot. The prints were large and appeared to be from an adult male. Looking around, I noticed they started at the base of the deck, went to the sliding door in the window of the basement living room, then seemed to disappear off the side of the deck. I had my snow boots on, so I walked around the yard, but I could find no trace of the footprints in the snow once they left the deck. Keep in mind the daily temperatures that winter barely made it above zero F, and the wind chill made it feel close to twenty below. Frostbite would set in within a matter of minutes for anyone walking around barefoot, especially in the dead of night. I never experienced anything like that again, but I did adopt a second dog shortly thereafter. This was about ten years ago with my boyfriend, who is now my husband in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. His mom is a big-time hiker and was part of a hiking club that got awesome discounts on these very rustic cabins run by the state park. We decided to spend a weekend at one of them. The hike wasn't super far, probably a mile or so. Cabin was very bare bones. It had a deck off the back, so we were hanging out back there when we heard it. To this day, it was the strangest thing and so hard to describe. The sound was that of someone dropping something like a basketball. Thumps that progressively became closer and closer and closer together. Like when a ball gets closer and closer to the ground. 
The weirdest part was the sense of vibration that seemed to come from below us and or inside us. The first time it happened, we were weirded out, but I thought maybe there was something underneath the deck or the house, like a boiler or furnace. Even though there was no heat, that was being weird, so we went down to check it out. And there was nothing, and then it happened again. A couple more times, and we got so scared we ran back inside and considered leaving. No one we've ever talked to has described something similar. Truly one of the weirdest things I've encountered. My family spent many summer camping. On one trip, my brother and I, seven and ten years old respectively, were hiking with our parents at a state campground. We stopped because my parents wanted to scout out the trail ahead, which was actually going down a somewhat steep hill. As my brother and I stood at the top of the hill waiting, we looked at our feet and realized we were standing in a nest of bees that had made their home in the ground. It took us a moment to realize what was happening, and then we took off running, screaming, but we were already being attacked. Our parents gave chase and swatted the bees away, but we were both stung at least 15, 20 times. It was a pretty traumatic experience at the time. Today, I have no fear of bees or the outdoors, though. Beyond that, probably seeing my youngest daughter bite it hard while we were on a bike ride whilst camping. She was a real trooper, though, and carried on once she got cleaned up. I've camped all over the country in a lot of the biggest national parks. Places like Yellowstone, where there are no humans for tens or twenties of miles, if not solid thirty or more miles. And if something happened to you, you're pretty much ruined, and you will die. We decided to do a quick overnight camp in the woods at least 10 or 15 miles away from any towns or cabins deep in the woods, while visiting two harbors, Minnesota. We drove way the F out into the woods in the Boundary Waters area where there are roads on maps, but it's really two depression tracks in there, ground like parallel goat trails made from four times fours driving through the woods over the years. This was in the fall, just as leaves started to change, and some had fallen, but maybe half were still on the branches. The only way we knew where we were going was by GPS and the goat tracks. We finally got lost and the branches of trees had canopied over the trail and weeds were whacking the side of my Jeep as we kept driving, enjoying not being in a normal place. We found a space barely open enough to walk around the Jeep, but not really big enough for a tent, but I was sick of driving. I shut the engine off and we were treated to the sounds of nothing but nature and it was clear there were no humans for a very long ways away. Just the wind, and occasionally a crow. That's it. We decided to camp there in the jeep because there wasn't enough of a clearing to put the tent out. It was a beautiful afternoon and then evening, and we used a small propane tank grill to make dinner and late afternoon coffee. After dark, it got cold, so we hopped in the jeep and zipped up for the evening. Sometime around 3 a.m., I woke up from a noise. I couldn't quite tell if I dreamt it or it was real. I sat up and could hardly see out of the jeep windows, and it had grown much colder than when we went to bed. The windows were frosted about halfway up in an irregular jagged pattern. I sat up for maybe ten minutes, and since the noise was gone, I figured we were good to go back to sleep or I was anyways. My wife never woke up. I checked the door locks. And since they were unlocked, I hit the lock button on my fob and went back to sleep. The next morning, I woke up to my wife saying, F, it snowed. A lot. 
She was looking out the top of the window from the back of the Cherokee where it wasn't frozen. I sat up and looked out the side window. It looked like we got a foot of snow. I wiggled out of the sleeping bag and opened the door and saw the snow was indeed about a foot deep. I could clearly see this because there were boot footprints in the snow. I was confused at first and wondered where they came from then. Remembered the tame from then, remembered the noise. I closed the door and told my wife what happened. She said, F, I've got to pee. Go check it out so I can pee. So I dug my boots out of the foot. Well put them on and hopped out. It had stopped snowing a couple times. The boot prints circled around the jeep and clearly stopped to look in the windows. They appeared to come from behind us and continued forever down the path ahead of us without circling back. I walked a bit in both directions before my wife shouted to not go that far away and could she take a piss. From out the cracked door, I shouted, yeah, and she did. I don't know why, but I was surprised to find no other animal tracks, car tracks, horse tracks, nothing, just boot prints. I walked back to the jeep, pissed off to the side myself, and when the wife finished pissing, I asked her if she was messing with me. She looked at me as if I was the stupidest person to have walked the face of the earth. No. Then she got in the jeep. I did too. The clock on the dash said it was 8.15 in the morning. I looked at my phone charging from the plug on the dash and had no signal. I started the jeep and started the jeep and started the jeep and started the navigation on the dash and I said, let's get the fuff out of here. We sat there waiting forever for the GPS to activate on the navigation system. It wasn't so much that the thick overhead clouds were blocking the GPS, it usually does okay with cloud cover. It was the fact that we had a billion trees leaning over the road like a heavy snowed on canvas bouncing the GPS away combined with the weaker GPS signal from the clouds. At least that's what I thought. The map just did nothing and was blank. Eventually, I set a fit and put the jeep in four-wheel low, turned it around and followed the path of the boot prints that were behind because I couldn't see the twin goat tracks that made up the road the night before and it was hard to tell where the trail led other than the boot tracks. It was slow going because of the higher snow and the front of the jeep acted as a plow. Eventually the boot tracks faded away. I guessed it was because the boot track maker had been walking while it snowed and it stopped snowing halfway out to where we were in the woods, which is why we could follow six or seven miles back through the woods. Sort of like driving backwards through time if you get my meaning. Anyways, it meant he had started walking or continued to walk while it snowed in the darkest night in the woods, in the middle of ducking nowhere before stumbling on our jeep. The GPS came back on not long after we got to the end of his trail, as the canopy of trees got further back from the goat tracks. And we were relieved to see the wooded goat tracks, and we were relieved to see the wooded goat trail became a gravel road, not much further down the way. Plus, it was much easier to drive on the gravel road as there was already one set of tire tracks in the direction we were going. Still not sure how long the boot tracks stood outside the jeep watching us that night, or if the noise was her, him opening and closing the unlocked door, or just walking around outside the jeep in the snow. That's the creepiest thing I've experienced. I love camping. The more remote, the better. One night I was camping in northwest Alabama near a small river but up on a hill away from the water. 
It was a nice level spot with a huge oak tree above and a thick layer of leaves below. I set up my tent and fixed a sandwich, then settled in to watch the stars for a bit before falling asleep. The tent flap was zipped, but it was a small tent, so my head was up against the fabric on one side. I had carefully built a fire pit about ten feet from the tent with a small fire that was gradually going down to ashes. I woke up with something trying to bite my head through the tent. Whatever it was clamped down just enough that I could feel the teeth as they raked across my skin. The tent fabric kept it from getting a good hold of me. Now I'm a person who reacts to danger by going all-out aggressive, so my response was to let out the deepest, most guttural growl of my life. Whatever it was, noped out of there so fast it left skid marks in the leaves. I'm kind of glad it left as the only weapon I had was a kitchen knife. I got up and threw some wood on the remnants of the fire and stoked up a good blaze, then sat in the tent reading until dawn. I am a park ranger, responsible for keeping the peace and ensuring the safety of all visitors in the national park. It was a beautiful day in the park, but little did I know that I was about to have the encounter of a lifetime. It was a calm and peaceful day in the park until I heard strange noises coming from a nearby clearing. I cautiously approached and was shocked to see a large Bigfoot-like creature. I had heard about these creatures before, but I never expected to actually see one in real life. I immediately called for backup and within minutes, a team of park rangers arrived on the scene. We were all in awe of the massive creature, but we knew we had to act quickly. We tried to get as close as possible to the Bigfoot, but it suddenly became aggressive and started attacking us. We quickly realized that we were no match for the creature and were forced to call in the government for help. A team of government agents arrived armed with advanced weapons and technology but the Bigfoot was still too powerful. Despite their efforts, the creature managed to escape into the wilderness. The government declared a state of emergency and a massive search and rescue operation was launched to find and capture the Bigfoot. They had to act fast as it was becoming clear that the creature posed a serious threat to public safety. Weeks passed and the government finally managed to track down the Bigfoot. A team of highly trained agents confronted the creature, but things quickly took a tragic turn. The Bigfoot was cornered and, in a desperate act of self-defense, attacked the agents. The resulting violence was devastating, and Bigfoot was killed. The news of the attack and the tragic ending to the Bigfoot quickly spread, causing outrage among the public. People were shocked that such a magnificent creature had been killed, and many felt that it was a waste of a unique and valuable life. As a park ranger, I was deeply saddened by the outcome of the incident. I couldn't help but wonder what could have been done differently to prevent such a tragedy. I realize that we still have much to learn about these creatures, and that it's important to protect and preserve their habitats in order to ensure their survival. In the end, the tragedy of the Bigfoot was a wake-up call for all of us. It reminded us that we need to be more mindful of the impact that we have on the natural world and to work towards a more harmonious relationship with the creatures that share our planet. I will never forget the encounter that changed my life and the tragic end to the Bigfoot. It will always be a reminder of the importance of preserving and protecting our natural resources and wildlife. Backpacking slash camping with my family of four near a river 
in a remote canyon in very wild area last summer was quite blissful until waking up around 2 a.m. to a very distressing sound. We were sleeping in our hammocks. Very close to the river and about 40 feet behind us was a tall canyon wall. The sound made me think of an injured animal that was very cat-like. It was coming from behind us towards the wall of the canyon. It was regular, occurring like clockwork every 15, 20 seconds. We shined flashlights and spoke very loudly in hopes of frightening it away from us. There was no moon out and we could see very little but shining our flashlights around. Revealed nothing as well. It sounded so very close. Our efforts did not work at all and it seemed relentless and unfazed by us in every way. I worried it was rabid or hurt. At one point I heard it near the river on the other side of us and was incredibly confused as to how it was able to move around without us hearing it. I sat on the edge of my hammock until dawn with my knife in hand, waiting for a wild, sick animal to come out of the bushes at any moment, and I have to fight for our lives. Finally, around dawn, the sounds got less frequent and eventually stopped. After hiking out, we googled many different animal sounds and the closest we could find to what we were hearing was a mountain lion mating call. Definitely lions in that area, so I believe that's what we heard. Still confused as to why it stayed so very close to us and was not scared away as most wild animals would be. We have seen black bear in this area many times, and they have always run the other way on seeing humans and cats are even more elusive. My buddies and I take a canoe camping trip every year where we camp on some islands on the river for a couple nights. First night was a perfectly clear night. Had a great time hanging out, but knew there was a threat of a storm the next night, so we spent some of the night trying to figure out do we paddle all the way back the next day or set up camp further down the river. We decided the latter the next morning because the forecast kept pushing the storm back as the day went on. We get to camp, set up, and get dinner going. As dinner is finishing up, the storm appears over the mountains across the river, so we all huddle in the tent, the most violent wind and rain I've ever experienced. We had to hold our tent walls up because they were being caved in by the wind. We're all thinking of a tree falls on us. We're all done. Storm lasts about 40 minutes, and then it's done. Campsite was not flooded by the river, but was just flooded by the rain killed the rest of the night and we just all went to bed at like 8 p.m. Woke up and canoe the rest of the way back the next morning to find about a half mile down the river trees had been blown over and fallen uphill. No confirmation that it was, but we think we missed a macro or micro burst by about a half mile. I am a park ranger at Yosemite National Park and it is my privilege to patrol this stunning piece of nature, the rolling hills, the towering cliffs, the still waters and the lush forests. All of it makes this place an outdoor enthusiast's paradise. The park is well known for its famous landmarks such as Half Dome and El Capitan, as well as its diverse wildlife, from the majestic deer to the busy squirrels. However, there's one thing in particular that I've been keeping an eye on for a while now, a rumored dark bigot. My name is Daryl and I've been a park ranger at Yosemite for over 10 years now. Today, I'm on patrol, and I'm determined to uncover the truth about this dark Bigfoot. Some say it's a monster that roams the park at night. Others claim it's just a myth. 
I've always been skeptical, but I've heard things, strange sounds in the dead of night, reports of missing hikers, whispers of something big and dark lurking in the shadows. I can feel a mystery unfolding, and I'm not one to back down from a challenge. As I make my way deeper into the park, I come across a group of hikers who claim to have seen the dark Bigfoot. They're shaken and frightened, and I do my best to calm them down. I take their statement and promise to look into the matter. It's then that I realize that I'm not the only one trying to uncover the truth about this creature. I meet a young woman named Sarah, who's a wildlife photographer. She's here to capture the beauty of Yosemite, but she's also on a mission to find the dark Bigfoot. We team up and spend the next few days exploring the park together. As we search for answers, I find myself falling for Sarah. She's smart, brave, and beautiful, and I can't help but feel a strong connection to her. However, just when I think I've found love, my world comes crashing down. Sarah betrays me, revealing that she's not who she says she is. She's actually working for a group of poachers who are after the dark Bigfoot. They believe that the creature is worth a fortune, and they're willing to do anything to get their hands on it. I'm heartbroken and angry, and I vow to stop them at all costs. The night of the showdown arrives, and I find myself face to face with the dark Bigfoot. It's a monster, a beast unlike anything I've ever seen. The poachers are closing in and I'm outnumbered, but I won't give up. I fight with everything I have, but I'm no match for the dark Bigfoot. In the end, I pay the ultimate price, but I'm at peace knowing that the creature is safe and that Yosemite will remain protected. As I take my last breath, I see Sarah standing over me, tears streaming down her face. She realizes too late the error of her ways and she's filled with regret. The dark Bigfoot disappears into the night, taking its secrets with it, but I hope that one day someone will uncover the truth about this mysterious creature and continue to protect the beauty of Yosemite National Park. When I was 15, my parents made the decision that they wanted to build their own farmhouse in the southern pasture, doing away with the mistakes our old house had and improving on a few concepts. I, being the mountain boy I was, was ecstatic. I no longer had to drudge half a mile to my trap line, a mile down, a mile back, and a half a mile to the house, and get ready for school. Trap line would be 200 yards from my front door. All big projects start somewhere, and ours started with water. See, we always had problems with iron water at our old house. It stained everything, changed how food tasted, and God forbid you had anything white. So Dad borrowed a bulldozer and an excavator off of a friend for a few days, built a sturdy road down to the bottoms, and dug footers for the house. But first we had to see if we could get a good well on the property. It's well known that a certain sect of my family could witch water, and had an old drilling truck, but first, silver had to cross hands, a jug of good shine had to be shared, and the rest poured out afterwards, and me and my sister would see if we also had the gift. My cousins came down and checked the land with three things, a fresh-forked peach limb, a pure silver pocket watch, and finally a set of heavy copper wires bent into an L. The peach limbs marked the prospects, the watch pool told the depth of the water, and the copper told of its purity. Us kids had to stay up on the hill till they were done, and one by one, 
we were called down and instructed how to find water and mark it. My sister was down there about half an hour, and then I got the call. When I went down, I was given four flags, instructed how to do it, and set out with a peach limb. Where it pulled the hardest, I marked the spots while my dad and the cousins looked on from the truck. I was next given the pocket watch and told to tell them which one pulled the hardest. After that, I was given the copper tines and told to tell which one crossed the quickest. After much testing, I came up with the one weaving down through our sugar maple patch where we made maple syrup. Well, apparently I was dead on and was congratulated by all attending of my gift. But I digress, onto the creepy part. The next day, they brought the rig up, trimmed some trees so they could stand it up, and started drilling on my spot. At 50 feet, they hit water unexpectedly. Short job, right? Well, Dad had talked them into drilling a few holes in the creek through the bedrock, so he could blast a few big holes in the creek for trout and a swimming hole. Well, he had already cleared out a road down to the creek and cleaned off a section of bedrock, diverted the creek to the other side, and prepped them a spot to drill. The creek is probably 30 feet wide from bank to bank, and is easily crossed dry-footed in dog days, but never goes completely dry. Well, they take the rig down, drive it through the pasture, turn it around and back it out on the bedrock. Dad took the dozer and was clearing off a section on the other side of the pasture, and I was watching him for about an hour or two when my cousins come running up to my dad, yelling for him to come and pull them back up the bank. They ain't drilling any more holes in the damned creek bed. Some words were exchanged, and Dad backed the dozer down, hooked up to the rig, and dragged them back into the pasture. The weirdest thing was, they then set up the rig 50 yards from the creek and started drilling a test hole. When they got about four lengths down, they pulled it up and went back another 50 yards and drilled another, finally satisfied in what was going on. I, on the other hand, had walked around them and walked down to the creek to where they had just drilled. See? Dad couldn't turn all the creek against the hillside. Not enough backfill and too much bedrock. What I seen was a drill hole down through the rock with a small stream of water disappearing in it. Come to find out... They had hit an underground cavern at six feet, and it just went. It extended about fifty yards out into our pasture, and maybe another forty yards beyond that. We had to rearrange where we were putting the house it came so far. We went back down to the creek with a tape measure. The tape measure maxed out, so we got a one hundred feet tape and put it down. It maxed out. Got a spool of baler's twine, tied a rock to it, put it into the hole. We all sat there for half an hour while Dad fed twine down into that hole off that spool. Finally, he said foot and cut the twine. It's too damn deep, he said. He gingerly drove the dozer back into the creek and smoothed everything up, covering the hole, and that was it. Dad passed away seven years ago this October. I walked down to the creek and fished it this spring for a mess of brookies. The creek changed and scraped itself clean in a few sections this spring. One of the places it scraped clean was the bedrock where the hole is. Water is still flowing down that hole. It never filled up. I think I had a first-hand encounter with a humanoid being four years ago. As far as I can tell, nothing happened to us. We were not abducted or harmed in any way. 
But we were very startled, and I would almost say I startled the creature as much as it did us. It was nighttime, and I was at my boyfriend's apartment, hanging out in the bedroom, laying on the bed chatting, watching TV. His roommates were out of town. After a while, I hopped off the bed to use the bathroom. I was just being silly and dramatic for no reason, and swung the bedroom door open all the way very quickly. All the lights in the apartment were off at the time except for the bedroom. As I started to take a step out, my body froze as I felt a presence. I took a second or so for my eyes to adjust and see that maybe five feet or so in front of me stood a humanoid figure with its arms in the air sort of crouched at the knees, staring back at me, like how people put their hands up when they have been startled. Its eyes were huge black saucers, and its head was almost frog-shaped with a small mouth, gaped open. It took me a second to realize what I was looking at, and once I did, I said, oh shit. The second the words left my mouth, the figure shook its arms side to side very fast and accelerated into a blur that went sideways phasing through the wall and disappeared. I immediately closed the door as fast as I could and stood there a moment to calm down and catch my breath. I was trying to rationalize thinking I had just hallucinated the whole thing because I stood up too quickly. My boyfriend kept asking me what just happened and I just kept saying I stood up too quickly and I was fine and tried to drop the subject. After a second I felt calm enough and I went to use the bathroom because it was basically an emergency at that point so I ran off and came back after I was done. My boyfriend was still very shaken up when I returned from the bathroom and was holding his phone, trying to record the hallway as I walked into the doorway, asking me again what just happened. At this point, I knew we both saw something, because why would he be trying to record the hallway? So I asked him to describe to me what he thought happened before I explained my side. And sure enough, he essentially saw this humanoid figure standing in the hall with a similar description and zip out of sight just like I had seen. After the incident, I thought what I encountered was some type of ghost or demon. I had nightmares about it because I was so shaken. Having another witness really made the reality of the situation set in. After a lot of reflection, therapy, and lurking on this community, I have started to believe it was possibly an ET of some sort or interdimensional being. If anyone is interested, I'd be happy to share more details. To this day, I have not had anything quite like that happen again, and I have never met or heard of another person with an encounter quite like mine. I can draw a picture if anyone is interested in trying to identify. Edit, I went ahead and did a drawing of what I saw. I know that it probably looks absolutely stupid, but I guess that's a big reason why I stopped thinking it was a demon.